Hi, I'm Dr. Dave Demmer, clinical psychologist, he, him. Hi, I'm Dr. Tom Dixon, GP extraordinary, he, they, she. Hi, I'm Dr. Jamie Byrne, clinical psychologist, she, her. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking all things transition, all things affirmation, all things privilege and disadvantage. We are going to play closest without going over. And as always, we're just going to have an opportunity to get to know each other a little bit more. And a queer old time. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's get to it. Hi. I'm Q. Hi, I'm Q. Hi, I'm Q. Hi, 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 I'm Q. In the spirit of reconciliation, the Meet Q podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their enduring connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and future and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. I feel like today is going to be a really interesting episode to talk so about. Excited. Yeah, yeah. Gonna, I'm not wearing a bra. You're not wearing a bra. <laughs> I, I put on a full skirt. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking. Yeah, all things gender privilege, gender mm. disadvantage. Mm. Oh, it's going to be so interesting. Um, how are we anyway? Are we good? Terrible. Terrible. Oh, Miserable. <laughs> You see me got a little quiver of bottom lip. Oh, that's just my resting tremor, love. Uh, well, unless you've got a mental health care plan and GP referral to me, I'll just... Uh, I can write one. both of those yes. myself. <laughs> Are you allowed to write them yourself? I can. Really? For yourself? Yes. I would not accept that. Oh, no, of course I don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have my own GP, thank okay. you. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, technically I can't write scripts myself. In Victoria, but in Queensland you can. Wow. Yeah, so if I was registered in Queensland, very odd. All the things I do in Queensland. Hello to our Queensland listeners. (laughs) I am a native Queenslander. (laughs) Yeah. All right, let's make Q. Hi, I'm Q. I'm a cartoon drawing, coffee slurping, 28-year-old trans man. Something's changed since I started transitioning, and it's not just my beard coming in. (laughs) People just seem to give me this extra respect now. It's like these unsaid social rules and unconscious biases are suddenly working in my favor. It's kind of odd, because all I did was start presenting as me. When I think of how different things were when I was perceived as a woman, talk about a head spin. (laughs) I would love some help figuring this all out. Well, Q, we're here to help you figure it out. (laughs) We're going to do our best. (laughs) We are going to do our best, yep. And I'm going to make sure that I don't lean into male privilege and I'm going to hand over to Jamie as a resident (laughs) cis female um, to talk us through from your perspective what's happening here. I might start by sharing the story of when I started to use the label feminist to define myself and Mm -hmm. see myself. And it it was probably about 10 years ago. And I think that I need to couch this in the context of I'm a cis female who most people presume walking through the world, they assume that I'm heterosexual as well. It's not how I identify, but that's what people put on to me. I'm white, middle class, upper middle class, Mm -hmm. educated, have every door open to me, but I am female. Attractive. Yep. Oh, Dave. <laughs> Go on. No, no. Say, say, say something else. Well, it's true though. Like I, I don't mean to do a quick tangent, but I'll do a quick tangent of, you know, there is also a privilege around, you know, people who have a general do, beauty about them. Yeah, well, do you know it fit into the kind of Western um, beauty standards, which mm-hmm. are kind of incredibly narrow? Mm. Anyway, sorry, I detracted. Go back. No, that's all right. So thank you. I think that's important to the story that about 10 years ago, I thought, oh, I'm really not sure about this idea that women are in any way disadvantaged relative to men. 
And I remember a friend pointed out my privilege at that point. And she said, well, you got this, you got this. We're in inner Melbourne as mm. well. So lots of factors came into play there. And I went, oh, <laughs> like it was just like one of those moments that it really kind of hit me. And it was even in that moment as I started to think about that concept of, okay, my experience as a woman is going to be very, very different how other women walk the world. In conjunction with that, I started to think about, hold on, well, how true is it? Mm. So, you know, uh, I talked about last episode having worked in theatre and being part of that. And then if you look at how many female directors there are in Australia relative to male directors, mm. if we look at how many female professors there are in psychology relative to lower ends, so how many women are going into psychology, it's like 70% mm. women. Mm. And then by the time that you're looking at professors, it's something like 70, 80% men. So there's a huge kind of change and shift. And I thought, I think there's often some unconscious bias going on that affords men more privilege. Mm. Male privilege, yeah. Yeah. So that's how I think about male privilege. Mm. I look at it as either conscious or an unconscious bias that affords men or male presenting people as more privilege and rights relative to female presenting people. Particularly when you're moving to that high level, I think that really represents male privilege there that when you're talking about higher positions of power, yeah. authority, yeah. leadership, yeah. that there is this absolute, I mean, that is male privilege. It's the unconscious bias that men are better in those positions or should be in those positions or are more worthy of those positions yeah. than women. And I use this littlest example here of I grew up in a quite a matriarchal kind of family where my mum was the breadwinner in yeah. the family. And I vividly remember from being a really young child, we used to go out to dinner and whenever the bill came, it always got given to dad and dad would always do this kind of funny, like aversive push towards mum, like, oh, don't show me. But from like that age of four years old, I had this thing of, oh, men pay for dinner <laughs> without anything. And I think, again, it's just this kind of implicit messaging mm. that we get. Well, yeah, like it's it's across all factors of society. It's And it's not just like the privilege that I suppose certain cis men experience, but it's also like the diminishing of like kind of the roles that in, um, any of the genders can yes. kind of mm-hmm. fulfill. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of, it's, it's... It's ranking them, isn't it? It's rating them. Well, exactly. Yeah. Like it's why, for example, care industries um, are kind of paid generally less than mm-hmm. say business mm-hmm. or finance industries. Yes, yeah. Yep. And that's predominantly just because like of the people that have traditionally occupied those industries and like the diminishing of their value of their work. Yep. Despite... Like kind of it becoming something yeah. much more kind of valued in modern society today in Australia. So an important thing that I wanted to mention early on is feminism is not just about women in society. It's about the place of all genders in society and how those power dynamics serves not just to disadvantage women, it serves to disadvantage all genders because mm. those boxes uh, that we get put into, they don't help any of us. Mm. <laughs> they don't help any of us. And I think that's really important to hold in mind. Mm. It's not about dragging men down. It's actually about opening up spaces that all genders can start to step into. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because, I mean, there's more restrictive boundaries from a, a gender role perspective around men than there are around women. You know, that's what the research shows is that particularly little girls have more opportunity and, and more allowance to be able to move into some masculine spaces versus little boys who are not allowed to move into feminine spaces. But anyway, Tom? Like, interestingly, on that point of like kind of little girls versus little boys or children assigned in those uh, gender categories, when you look at how gender develops in that kind of infancy and like kind of those early years of life, 
there's um, some research around the fact that traditionally those assigned to have female at birth will be put into dresses or skirts or things like that. Typically, that's going to increase the likelihood that that toddler might trip over themselves mm-hmm. because there's just a whole lot more fabric down there. Mm-hmm. Whereas people assigned a male at birth mm-hmm. will essentially be put into overalls or shorts, yeah. which allows them freer access to like run and play and all do yeah. all of those things. What that actually does for the biology of that infant is increases their brain's connections in those parts of the body. Yeah. And yeah. so you look at like kind of these traditional stereotypes of kind of men being better at sport, yeah. women Gross being motor, fine motor. all of those kind yeah. of things. And there's correlation, I guess, with the kind of what we are exposed to in early life. Can I tell you two of my favourite social psych studies? Mm. So what they did was they uh, put an infant into either a blue onesie or a pink onesie, which would, you know, stereotypically define a little boy or a little girl, but it was the same infant. And then they had people of all genders coming up and interacting with this infant. And lo and behold, people coming up to play with their kid in the blue onesie, they were like, oh, who are you going to be when you grow up? Are you going to be a fireman? Oh, you look like such a big, strong little boy. And all the people going up to the kid in the pink onesie, the same kid was going, oh, you're so beautiful. Mm-hmm. You're, you're such a you're so beautiful pretty, little yeah. princess. Yeah. So from the get-go, and it's not like people would purposefully coming up. There was no knowledge about what the study was about, but people are already imposing their definitions of gender onto this infant. Mm. And by primary school, by prep, when they actually measure, uh, which is why I'm going to do all the talking today, when <laughs> they um, look at teachers teaching prep classes and they show that irrespective of the gender of the teacher, Teachers tend to cut off women, little girls, so much more than they cut off little boys. They let little boys keep talking in class Mm. and they'll curtail the little girls talking in class. It's something like over 60% different. It's a massive difference. And again, we learn this implicit message, I should learn to shut up. Mm. Well, it's it's like the infant and the kind of preschool, kind of prior to five, the age of five, all that infant is doing is associating connection, i.e. usually with the primary attachment figure, a parent in most cases, and like the activity and like the feeling that they're getting from that um, attachment figure. And what that teaches the brain is to say, I need more of this. Mm-hmm. And so if it's associated with like kind of things like pretty, beauty, nice, all of that language, that language is then hardwiring itself as important into the brain mm. uh, for that infant. Mm. And the same for the kind of the more masculine kind of language. Mm. And it's kind of not as simple as just looking at things being pink or blue. It's the whole of society and that kind of messaging and that kind of what we, opportunities we mm. offer for these infants in these really critical years of life when the brain is just kind of completely remodeling itself kind of to an exponential level. To draw it back to Q in the sense of like what their experience is, like kind of having the world suddenly change its tone, I guess, towards them. How jarring. Like it's, Do you mean? Like how, how interesting. I mean, yeah. And like yeah. it's such an incredibly unique experience of those that kind of experience more than one gender. Affirming and annoying. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> like I can't imagine what it's like. I think the only kind of experience I've ever had is like I had a teenager once yell out in JB Hi-Fi like what's your gender? <laughs> I was like none of your business. <laughs> it is maybe one of those I guess less expected or those little surprises along the journey of, mm. of gender affirmation that there's all this focus on a whole bunch of other elements that this implicit male privilege and, and you know I mean we move into discussions around passing and all that type of stuff too but maybe that's for another episode but moving into the space of most transgender diverse people I've worked with being like I wasn't expecting that like it was really kind of confusing and jarring and can really struggle to make sense of it because 
maybe they're coming from a place of being identified as female and having a female disadvantage and then moving into male. But they're also often gaining, you know, what we would call, you know, the atrociousness of trans disadvantage as well. So there's more intersections going on here than we assume. I definitely feel more unsafe walking around at night if I'm wearing a skirt and heels, Mm -hmm. like whether it's in drag or not in drag. Mm -hmm. Yep. And like there's that component of like, I can only glimmer what it might be for a kind of a cis woman mm-hmm. or a cis girl or a trans woman yep. um, to experience day in, day out, that experience of not feeling safe in the world. It's so funny you use that example because I've got an older sister and we were talking many years ago. She must have been like coming back late from somewhere and it's like, oh no, I'll, I'll get a taxi or whatever. I, I wouldn't catch the train. And I was thinking, well, you live quite close to the train station. It's going to be like really expensive. Why would you do this? And she's like, well, because it's unsafe. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I went, that had never, as a cisgendered male, it had never gone through my mind that it would be unsafe for me to walk down a standard street in Melbourne at night time. Mm. It was, yeah, it was a really interesting moment of me going, oh, God, this is male privilege. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I think as well there's a normalisation of all of this, right, mm. that, again, the fact that I didn't pay attention to what kind of barriers might have been in place to me and I just kind of go, oh, but that's obvious. Mm. Like, that's just obvious that you would do that. I've certainly had the conversation. I've got some cis female friends who around uh, experiences of broadly defined sexual victimisation and just this like, yeah, it happens. Mm. Like, it's just like this idea that we're almost inoculated yeah. from this not being an abnormal experience, that just being like a resignation it's just part to of it. it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it just happens. It just, you know, like wolf whistles and like yeah. stuff like that and being... The stats of sexual violence Mm. against um, the kind of femme presenting people, Mm. it's something like 40 to 50% of people will experience it um, Mm. during their lifetime, Mm. if not greater. Again, either assault, violence, kind of emotional violence, kind of um, all of the kind of essentially impingements on that person's ability to kind of have an autonomous and um, agency without harm due to kind of just their gender presentation. Game on. All right, let's play, gang. So we're playing closest without going over. I've got five statistics here. I'm going to ask you a question such as what is Australia's national gender pay gap? And then you're going to write down your answers and whoever is closest without going over. Are you mansplaining? Uh, Maybe. Is that male privilege? Uh, That's Dave-splaining. He needs to Dave-splain to us. First to three, we need to ask. Okay, first question. What is Australia's national gender pay gap as a percentage? How much more, on average, are men paid compared to females? Okay, show. Tom, 22, Jamie, 6.8. The answer is 13.3. One for Jamie. Oh, that's crashing. (sighs) All right. You guys are buying me dinner. What is the percentage of women in the Australian House of Representatives compared to men? Mm. So what percentage of the House of Reps is women? Not the Senate. What? The House of Reps. Yeah. So lower house. Okay. Lower house, We've lower got women. Okay. And show. Jamie's 25, Tom is 46. The answer is 38%. Jamie. I knew it was close. Interestingly... 
the Senate is 56% yeah. women. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's hmm. what, and when you hmm. say, like, because it's, um, the libs are terrible, obviously, in general. No, but it's because, like, um, Labor have actually got greater female representation mm. in the House mm. of Reps than they do. Mm. They're definitely in the kind of, in, in the, the Senate, in the, mm. in the total um, parliament, mm. that it's because the libs kind of, like, you have only, like, a number, they're very far from parity. Mm. Mm. And so it's because they bring the House of Reps down. Okay, next one. This is worldwide, mm-hmm. okay? What percentage of billionaires are female? This is going to be so depressing. It is really low. Down. Okay. So depressed. Tom, 10%. Jamie, 2%. It's 13%. Okay, Tom, you need to I'm doing my best, guys. Feel free (laughs) to pay me extra next time. You need to to get this one, Tom, to stay in the game. You need to get that one. You need to get this one as well. Okay. Oh, it's life and death. It is. It is. A similar one. What percentage of Fortune 500 CEOs are female? So Fortune 500 companies. So there are 500 in total? That's the Fortune 500. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So it's how many females? Yep. How many? Percentage or C- number? Percentage. So how percentage. many of those 500? What percentage do a, of that? I've got to do a quick conversion. Hang on. What double it and then take a number off. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's always my thing with okay. 50%. I think that Tom's trying to sabotage me. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, um, uh, I like did not do well at maths at school, so I probably shouldn't be giving anyone advice. This one's super depressing too, just so you're aware. Oh, I've gone too high, haven't I? Okay, let's flip around. Tom says eight. Jamie says 20. Tom is bang on at 8%. Wow. Oh, Still in the game. All right, we've got a decider. This is not good news. Like I get that we're playing a game. This is so sad. We've it really got, is sad. So oh. the decider, I just I chucked in a queer one. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. What percentage of national and state parliamentarians, so we're talking houses of reps, we're talking mm-hmm. senates, we're mm-hmm. talking national, we're talking state, mm-hmm. identify as a member of the LGBT plus community, not including allies? Number or? Uh, percentage. So what percentage of all of our politicians in Australia, be they national or state, identify as queer? I think I've gone too high. Okay. Percent, four percent. Oh, it's three point five. Yeah, three point five. <laughs> but if you round that <laughs> up, <laughs> uh, congratulations, oh, Jamie. Yeah. So we're all running for office. Mm-hmm. Um, please make sure well, you vote for us. I, for I, years, I, I have been saying I'm going to be prime minister. Yeah. Oh, see, I want to be premier. Mm. I don't, well, I, you can. You and I can, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be in mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be in yeah. Canberra. And I'm going to be Fortune 500, paying off these two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you will making be making campaign donations. Exactly. I will accept that donation. Thank you. Um, you. (laughs) This is in America. (laughs) Okay. Well done, Jamie. Coming back to Q here. So Q's now experiencing stepping into male privilege now that they're affirming their gender to male. Tom, how would you kind of unpack this or support Q if if they're in your room? Well, I think Q points out the fact that it's just this kind of conflict within their brain and I think it really points to the fact that in my mind, I imagine they've got a, a kind of mixed emotions here. They've got that kind of awareness that this is not a privilege that they necessarily want mm. from the perspective of like belittling others in my kind of mm. t- and since they're kind of acknowledging the societal impact of yeah. male privilege. Mm-hmm. But then equally, I imagine it's quite an affirming experience to kind of have people recognise their gender. Yeah. And that conflict of those two being one of like positive emotions and one of kind of very much like kind of frustration or disdain or kind of difficulty. And those 
concepts of like kind of well, how do we remain ourselves within that then? Yeah, yeah. Because I think it's one of those things where we can acknowledge things and still have joy and like we can sit with almost opposing views on mm-hmm. multiple different topics, like that mm-hmm. idea of yeah. dialectic thinking mm-hmm. and know that we are still ourselves within this. Mm-hmm. Are you kind of saying there that like there doesn't need to necessarily be this sense of guilt that like mm-hmm. there yeah. is this male privilege therefore and they are still allowed to feel affirmed in the fact that they're being... Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's and like kind of they don't have to try and diminish themselves because of that mm. because it can equally be that the acknowledgement of it doesn't diminish their masculinity. Yeah, it doesn't need to be black and white. Like so many things yeah. in life, like mm-hmm. we can hold mm-hmm. both of these things at the same time. Exactly. Maybe we can hold this part of us that's saying male privilege is not okay and it's something maybe I even mm-hmm. want to fight against, mm-hmm. but also there's this part of me that when I experience male privilege feels affirmed in my male yeah. gender, mm-hmm. which is something that Q's probably been, you know, struggling with for a very long time up to this point. We can hold those things together. I think like one of my listen to this podcast a lot quite a, for quite a few years called The Guilty Feminist mm. and it starts by going, I'm a feminist, yeah. but. <laughs> and like for me, it's a lot of stuff around like I'm a feminist, but like at the thought of having to repair something and like, I, mm. you know, the perfect example is as we set up all these mics and lights and stuff and I just kind of look at Tom with these puppy dog eyes, like, I don't know these chords and technology. I can't do it. And barbecues and cars. Like for me, I'm just like, I'll take less money because I find it so overwhelming. The thought of my father has taught me to check the dipstick so many times in my car. But I can't do that. I, and then I tried to open up the bonnet and I couldn't even get the bonnet open. They, <laughs> no, in your defence, though, they do hide that little triggering cars oh these days. Gosh. Yeah. Equally, I, so, I hope that someday I'm not driving down the freeway and like this car just starts steaming because I don't know where water things go. Yeah. Blow a tyre. Yeah. I can do that. You can, oh, I know, can see, you? I can't change tyre. No. A part of my privilege is, do you know what? I'm going to earn enough money that I can pay someone to do all the things I don't no, want to do. How yeah. you doing? I'm on the freeway. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very I'm much. All brother of us out. have a lot of yeah. privilege. Mm, help um, a brother out. Help a mother out. You know, a sister. I don't think RACV discriminate based on gender, which is great. So yeah. Okay. Plug, yeah, call out plug for RACV. <laughs> Dave, as probably the most Thomas. masculine of the three of us. <laughs> oh, no, I've seen Jamie as a pretty masculine. masculine um, I've seen Harvey over there. Yeah. I'm glad you didn't throw to me there. I would have been offended. Um, no. How would you support like Q and their sitting with their masculinity here in this conundrum? Yeah, as I was reflecting on this case, one thing that was really sticking out for me, and I'm kind of going to go on a bit of a tangent here, almost away from talking. You tangent? I know. <laughs> Yeah, you Join the dark side. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want to throw in something else because it was really resonating with me, this idea of it seems like maybe Q, it is that Q wasn't expecting this. Mm. Q wasn't prepared that there would be this kind of change in privilege status that came with the transition with their affirmation, right? And there's something I think as healthcare professionals, particularly healthcare professionals working in this space, I know I feel this sense of kind of responsibility or duty to like obviously support people in their affirmation, but to be exploring some of these things that they may not be expecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So, you know, when I, I work with plenty of clients who are affirming their gender and we have lots of discussions about, hey, have we thought about this? Have we thought about that? Because I wonder if Q's experience might have been a bit different if they had have had an idea that this was maybe going to be part of the journey or could be part of their mm-hmm. journey. You know, some of the other things you might talk about, like if someone's starting gender affirming hormones, mm-hmm. increases or decreases in testosterone is going to change 
change one's sex drive, yeah. one's libido. Mm-hmm. Like, if we plan for that and we think about <laughs> what were you jumping in? This like, they're not sex hormones, they are steroid hormones because we all have them. Oh, there you go. Just as a quick little, but yes. Yeah, bringing the medical doctor in. Thank you. Yep. Other elements like as queer people, we are constantly coming out. And if Q here is being seen as male, is he then going to have to come out at various times? Mm. If he's at a bar and he meets someone who sure. wants to have a chat, yeah. have we thought about at what time or what point might I have a conversation around what things would be yeah. like in the bedroom for me? Mm-hmm. You know, even things like, have we thought about affirmation, particularly medical affirmation is costly and it's yeah. often lifelong. You know, have we thought about the financial implications of this and can we support our transgender diverse non-binary clients, particularly those going through medical affirmation like Q has here to ensure that we've prepared them and we've got them in the right space. Like that's our kind of mm. duty to make sure that we are helping them as best we can with as much information as we can. I think building on what you've said, Dave, that the experience can be quite different towards people seeking feminization affirmation mm-hmm. versus masculinization. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting as we've looked at this case, a lot of the more trans femme people who I work with have a lot more fear around safety as mm. part of their affirmation. Absolutely. Right? And yep. it's actually something that in general, trans mask people tend to have less of, relatively speaking. Mm. That's my clinical experience too. There's so many trans women that die every year. And like mm. kind of and through even, violence or through kind even of the statistics show that trans femme versus trans mass, trans yeah. femme do have higher rates yeah. of, of discrimination, of yeah. violence, sexual violence. Yeah. yeah. So I think as well, thinking through each of those steps, I think that it would the words coming to mind is negligent. I don't think it's the right word, but it would be a mistake to not start to kind of bring those differences mm. to attention, you know. Like Absolutely. F- for example, if you've got queer people in STEM, they tend to be more <laughs> trans femme people who are gender diverse people in STEM versus, as in science, technology, engineering, maths, right, mm. versus trans mask people. Because again, I think there's a socialization component. So for example, we know that people who are raised male tend to be pushed towards STEM subjects. Now, how much of that is some kind of natal biological difference of the way that the brain works? Again, how do we ever conduct a study where we test Mm. this? So (laughs) our guess is it's not, but... Well, like in the sense of like there's so many different people who have different styles of thinking and it's it, it's a socialisation of what's acceptable. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's actually quite distressing for trans and non-binary folk not having, well, especially trans folk or binary trans folk who haven't had the experience of being socialised in the gender they identify with. That's a distressing thing. And then they're in a world where they're living that mm-hmm. as well. I guess I think I probably just want to flag something as well that we're assuming here that Q doesn't have any other intersections of um, Mm. kind of marginalisation. And like uh, we know that, for example, those of the BIPOC community and First Nations communities, if they're um, trans, have like that added layer of essentially risk and kind of um, the kind of different cultural as well as like kind of just general um, society and expectations and kind of all of the things that go with that and kind of even harder. Yeah. And do you know what? I think it's because even inherent in the three of us, you know, in some sort of subconscious level, when Q's talking about this fact that, oh, I mean, I've got male privilege now and, and that's kind of a bit confronting and, and but I'm, it's kind of cool and I'm kind of enjoying it in some ways, that we automatically went, well, you must be white. Mm. Because if there was some other intersection, particularly the colour of your skin, mm. then that would probably negate 
the, the male privilege. Yeah. So we probably just assume that Q was white here because yeah. the male privilege trumped. Yeah. And we're all white as yeah. true. And I want to add another intersection in mm. there as well around sexuality. Mm. You know, I think for a lot of people outside of LGBT and ally communities, can kind of conflate gender and sexuality. So if you're a trans guy, you might be attracted to females. What about that identity of going from a lesbian Mm. (laughs) to being a straight guy, Mm -hmm. you know, and how kind of you're accepted into that as well. well. In the history of like kind of the LGBT, the kind of queer rights movements, a lot of the earlier lesbian groups intentionally excluded one yeah. if there were trans um, mask people who kind of started to present more trans mask through their movements. As soon as that happened, those individuals would be kind of kicked out essentially, yeah. which is a terrible kind of loss um, to those uh, social supports that um, that yeah. person needed at the time. There was the submission to the, well, I don't know, it was like human rights or something, that there was a- Human a, rights commission? A le- no, 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 it wasn't that big. It was just in Victoria, but uh, a lesbian group who submitted to be able to exclude people who weren't cis female. Not that long ago, it was only a couple of weeks ago. I mean, the ruling yeah. only came down two weeks ago where they said, you can't do that. That's not going to yeah. happen. They wanted yeah. to actively exclude them from their well, events. To separate out as well, just in case it wasn't clear, I'm not a turf. <laughs> you know, this idea of trans-exclusionary radical, radical feminism, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. very much this idea if you haven't lived a socialisation as a female, you can't know what it's like to be a female. And that doesn't sit comfortably no. with me in the least yep. because no. I think that's so wrong and maybe that's part of Q is that we hold a layer of that socialisation going into the world and therefore going into the affirmation mm-hmm. that this isn't what he expected. Couldn't agree more, Jamie, because I think then what we're doing is we are defining what it means to be a female and we are saying that the definition of being a female is you were socialised as a female growing up where, you know, I challenge anybody to come at me to define what is a man, what is a woman, what is a boy, what is a girl, what is someone who is non-binary, like... It's not a definition and there is no perfect it's definition. It's a lived experience. Well, exactly. I'm really frustrated yeah. by this. Well, 100%. Like, because, like, from a, like, just an Olympics history perspective, in the olden days, like, prior to, like, kind of the current blood test where we test mm. someone's kind of XY mm. chromosome, that kind of thing, which is just, like, a genetic representation of something mm. about someone. It doesn't actually at all confer that gender. Yeah, we're talking but, about sex, aren't we? Like, yeah, yeah, but, but equally, like, prior to that, people who were kind of applying in the female categories of the Olympics had to parade naked in front of the oh. panel to prove their um, gender. And so, like, if we think about how we've defined gender and sex over, like, kind of history, mm. it, there's some pretty horrible things there. Yeah. But equally, like, kind of, it's changed. And so, like, kind of, there is no kind of standing definition of male or female. There isn't. No. Final thoughts. Thomas? It might sound cliched, but at least Q now has the opportunity of calling themselves a feminist without being a feminine presenting person as well, potentially utilising that um, extra privilege from that kind of what they've experienced and kind of still holding what is important to them, assuming they have those values of kind of Mm -hmm. supporting um, those that are kind of more feminine presenting. Yeah. My final thoughts would be coming back to this point of being able to hold both of these things together, being able to feel uncomfortable that there is male privilege there and and wanting to dismantle that over time. Great. But you can also hold this idea of, um, and, you know, that also brings me a sense of affirmation. It also brings me a sense of gender euphoria sometimes. Both of those things together is okay. You don't have to beat yourself up. 
you know, life is hard enough as a trans yeah. person. Yeah, like you don't, <laughs> yeah. you don't need to beat yourself Agreed. up. If this brings you some sort of sense of gender euphoria, it's okay yeah. to sit with that while, you know, if you have the urge to, dismantling male privilege. Patriarchy. Absolutely. <laughs> Dismantle the patriarchy. And now, but not least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so my final thought to Q is, you know, Q, I love having these discussions, clearly, as we've discussed today. <laughs> I think that uh, the thing that I would want to flag is that the patriarchal system that we live in, it disadvantages all genders, right? So this is just a really cool opportunity, like that experience that I shared that I went through of kind of starting to understand ourselves in the context of the other privileges that we have or we don't have as well and understand how that might impact the way that we navigate the world. Mm -hmm. So it's just a learning opportunity to help to understand us and our identity. Mm -hmm. So. Have fun, Q. Yeah. Yeah. Gang, that brings us to the end of season three. Oh. I know. So sad. So sad. Good riddance. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, critic episode was last episode. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> He's externalising his critic. <laughs> no, I'm just being me. <laughs> no, um, as always, it's, it's been, been an absolute pleasure to learn from you both, learn with you both. And grow. And grow. Yeah. Yeah. Love learning journeys. Yeah. <laughs> and we hope that all our listeners out there have taken something away from this season and we hope to catch you again soon. Bye. Meet Q is brought to you by Q Psychology, Melbourne's leading private psychology practice for the LGBT QIAP plus community. Q is a fictional character. Any similarities to a specific person are coincidental and are due to Q representing common mental health difficulties experienced by members of the queer community. Any advice provided by the presenters is general in nature and should not replace specific and individualised mental health support that might be needed. If you or someone you know is struggling with their mental health, Lifeline is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 13 11 14. Rainbow Door is available on 1800 729 367, 10am to 5pm, seven days a week. And Q Life is available on 1800 184 527, 3pm to midnight every day. Please visit the Meet Q website at www.meetqpodcast.com for further specific LGBTQIAP mental health resources. 